Well, it's good to see you this this morning. I was uh, sitting over there uh, thinking about uh, Brother Jackie Don Sadler and uh, him being with the Lord Jesus this morning. What a blessing. He's with the Lord. And here we are. Well, let's turn to 1 Timothy. And we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. First Timothy chapter 3. Now let's stand together once again in honor of, of the holy word of God, God's holy truth. All truth comes from God. It says in chapter 3, let's read verse 1. I know we've already gone over verse 1 in the first part of verse 2, but we'll read verses 1 and 2. It says, this is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop... He desireth a good work. A bishop, that's talking about a pastor, an elder. A bishop then must be blameless. The husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, and apt to teach. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your direction uh, in Scripture. Lord, you have not left us here just to... uh, wander through life aimlessly, but you have given us over and over and over again clear directions on how we're to live. Uh, Lord, you have a desire for each and every person. Here this morning, we're going to talk about leadership in the church, but Lord, it's, it's all of us that you're talking to. And God, help us all to strive to be more like Jesus. God, would you would you help us in that way to be the examples that we should be as we live each and every day? God, thank you so much for your great and holy love for us. And we pray that this morning you would be glorified above all things. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're, I've entitled the, this message, First Timothy Part five. Uh, we have uh, been in First Timothy for a while now, and what we're looking at is understanding church unity, church direction, the direction for us. And we've talked about this before, but once again, people consistently come to church, and yet they don't know what the church really believes and what it's what they're supposed to do. They don't really understand the doctrine of the church uh, that, that God has for the church. But God wants us to know those things. He wants us to uh, know what the church is supposed to believe. And he wants us to know his will. Now, 1 Timothy is one of three pastoral epistles. And uh, the other two are 2 Timothy and Titus. Now, the thing about those three, uh, those three books, those three letters is that they are written to specific, they are addressed to specific people, uh, specific men. Most notably, First uh, and Second Timothy are addressed to Timothy. And then Titus, of course, is addressed to Titus. And so we're going to see that he gives them clear instructions concerning church leadership here. Uh, the, the other books uh, would, uh, they're going to be addressed, the other books, the, the other letters that Paul writes primarily are going to be addressed to uh, churches 
in uh, specific churches that he had uh, either established, that God had established through him, or that he was aware of. And so God has given us clear and specific directions for the church. Once again, we're talking about church leadership. Uh, This morning, we're going to look further at this area, and it's important for us to remember that as we look at church leadership, the Bible says on numerous occasions that the leaders in the church are to be examples for the rest of us. And so really what, what's happening here is we're, when, we, when we read this, we're looking at what we're supposed to be. Okay, these, the leaders are supposed to be the example. They're supposed to set the example. The Bible says that on numerous occasions. So uh, it's going to apply to us individually. We need to apply them to ourselves. So remember, we looked last week at uh, a couple of, uh, of qualifications, and I'll mention those again here in just a moment. And then, um, and then I had said that, uh, you know, I think we can make it through the rest of those today. And God slowed me down. I'm going to tell you, I was, I was, as I was planning this week, going through these, and he put the brakes on me. I was clear of that. And these are not directions that can just be glossed over. Uh, we have to take these to heart. And uh, I'll just tell you, he slowed me way down on, uh, on these. These are important, and we, gotta, we have to take them to heart. We're going to look at six directions this morning. And it's, it's important now for us to remember that the bishop and the elder and the pastor are all references to the same person. Okay, they describe different functions of the same person. Here in Second uh, Timothy, the King James here says bishop. That is a reference to oversight. This man is to have oversight. Uh, and of the things of God, of the ministry of God. He has oversight. Uh, you might think of it as administratively, okay? He has oversight. Uh, the elder, that function relates to his leadership. He's to lead the church. It refers to counseling. He's to, uh, he's to counsel the church in the Word of God, give them direction from the Word of God. That's the elder uh, function. And then, of course, the pastor function. You don't see the word pastor a whole lot in Scripture, but you see what the pastor is. The word pastor means shepherd. And so you'll see that it'll say protect the flock or feed the flock. That is a reference to the shepherd. That's what the shepherd did, and that's what he is to do today. And so uh, we're going to look at six directions from Scripture from this passage, and you can see them right there. The first one is the the pastor, the bishop, the elder, that church leader, he must be faithful. He must be faithful. Second, we're going to look at uh, the fact that he must be vigilant. Vigilant. And then, of course, sober. And that's not not a reference to drunkenness. He's going to deal with that. You can see down there in verse 3. But here he says sober, and then of good behavior, and then given to hospitality, I like that one, and then 
apt to teach. So we're going to look at those six. So uh, let's remember now, we'll look at the first one here, and remember that, that Ephesus was a very difficult place. It was filled with false teaching, false gods all over the place, huge temples to these false gods. And always remember this, that Satan tries, he always tries to stop the work of God. He'll try to stop it right here. He'll try to stop it in our families. Uh, he's going to try to stop the Word of God. And 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, and we'll refer to this a couple of times. You can see it there. talks about the will of God. He wants all people to be saved. That's what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. Well, that's his desire. It should be our desire as well. Satan's going to try to uh, stop that, put uh, landmines all over the place so that doesn't happen. Now, all, also, let's, let's remember this. There were three, and you might say there are three, church offices that are mentioned in Scripture. Now, see, now, we're not talking about some other kind of, we're not talking about uh, some other kind of church leadership. This is, ch- this is biblical church leadership, what we're reading here. Okay, so there are three church offices. We talked about this last week. The first one would be the apostles. Now, to be an apostle, you had to have seen Jesus and been commissioned by him. Those guys are not around any longer. So that, that, one, is, is, uh, that one is historical. Okay, The other two church offices are mentioned right here in uh, chapter 3 of 1 Timothy. And that would be the bishops, which also means elder. Uh, it's a reference to the elder and the pastor. All those are one guy. And then you can see the deacons. Uh, and that term deacon is a powerful term. You can see it down there in verse 8. Deacon, the, the Greek word diakonos, it simply means servant. These guys serve. And so uh, those are the three church offices. And so we're not talking about some other type of man-made leadership. This is God's leadership, God's design for the church. Now, also, I gave a couple of verses or a couple of portions of Scripture last, last week, and this is important to note as you're looking at the pastor, the elder, the bishop, and these are passages where those three are used interchangeably. And that would be Acts chapter 20, Acts 20, 17 through 30. You'll see that he's talking to the elders, and then he uses the term bishop, and then he says, protect the flock. He says, the wolves are coming. You've got to protect them. And he's not talking about the Davis wolves. He says, you've got you to protect the flock. And so, uh, and then the other one, the other passage is 1 Peter 5, 1 through 3. That's where you'll see uh, Peter says, I'm an elder. I'm one of them. And he describes himself as a, uh, as a pastor and a bishop. And so he'll use all three of those. Now look at verse 1 of chapter 3 again. Let's just, this is a little review. He says, this is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. So there it says, it spells it out, God's direction. It uses the word he, it has to be a man. Okay, it has to be a man that's, that's, that occupies that position. And it says desire, now that's the first qualification. It says if a, if a man desire the office of a bishop, that is an undeniable calling from God. God has put that on his heart via the Holy Spirit. He has an undeniable calling from God. That's the first qualification. 
It's, it's God's will for this man to be the pastor, to be the bishop, to be the elder. It's God's, uh, it's God's plan. And so now not every one of us is going to be uh, a bishop or an elder, a pastor. Not every one of us is going to occupy that position. But God, for every person in here, God has a plan, a specific plan for each one of us. Just like he has a plan for that person. He puts it on his heart, and God has a desired plan for you and I that uh, uh, for, for those that aren't the bishop, the pastor, the elder. And so remember now, God's desired will for, for each of us can be known. We've talked about that quite a few times. And last week I gave a, a, a passage of Scripture that I believe God laid on my heart even right before I walked in here, and that is Matthew 7, 7 through 8. And he says, Ask, and it shall be given. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be open unto you. And he goes on, he says, For everyone that, that asketh, receiveth. See, God wants us to know his desired will for our lives. He's not playing hide-and-go-seek with us. And so it's important that we, we understand that. Uh, so one of the first questions for someone that is desiring church leadership as a pastor is to ask them why. Okay, why? And so the, uh, if, if that person doesn't have a burning desire to be the pastor, then he's not the man. He has to have the desire. He has to have the desire. And, uh, and then in reference to all of us, one of the grandest things that you and I can do is to desire God's will for our lives. The second thing he says there in verse 2, he says, a bishop must be blameless now remember we talked about the fact that that's the idea of there is nothing in this man in this man's life which the enemy or an unsaved person can can grab hold of, and that's what the word blameless means. That cannot be laid hold of. So there's nothing in this man's life that the unsaved or an, uh, an, uh, or Satan can grab hold of and and uh, attack the church, use it against the church, and say gotcha. There's nothing in this man's life like that. And then so uh, remember now, it, it's a reference to, it says a bishop must be. That is currently. He must be. Now, there may be something in his, his, his history. We're all sinners. As a matter of fact, if you look at uh, 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. He, was a, he describes himself as a blasphemer, a murderer. That's how he describes himself. So, we could draw the rope so tight that everybody would be excluded. That can happen. And so we have to be cautious of that. We have to realize that the person that, that occupies this position is a sinner. He is, a, he is an under-shepherd, so to speak. The, the shepherd, the high shepherd is Jesus Christ. And so the under-shepherd would be the pastor of the church or a pastor of the church and uh, uh, he's still a sheep himself, and that, we have to keep that in mind. But there must not be, according to Scripture, anything in this man's life that could be laid hold of and, uh, and used against the church. And so we have to use that. We have to be very cautious. It requires a lot of diligence, and uh, I appreciate the pastoral search committee really thinking this through. Is there anything in this man's life that could be used against the work of God? And so many of us will not be the pastor, the elder, the bishop. Are we to be blameless? 
And the answer to that is absolutely yes. See, these apply to us. Just like this man is to be blameless, these apply to us. We need to live in a way we strive to live to be as much like Christ as possible. That's the direction from the Scripture for each and every one of us, to be like Christ. Now look at the next one. It says, he must be the husband of one wife. Now, this is the most, you know, last week we, uh, in the first part of the, the message, remember us talking about the last part of chapter 2? That was a tough portion of Scripture. I will say this is a tough portion of Scripture right here. So when you're in your Bible study, when you're studying the Scripture, it's important not to dodge around these hard issues. You have to go through them. You to dodge around them would be incorrect. We have to go through them and see what is God teaching us? What is He trying to get us to, to understand? And so it says here that uh, He must... in, in uh, chapter 3, verse 2, he must be the husband of one wife. Now, I'll tell you this. This is the most discussed, uh, probably the most uh, talked about, what's the word I'm looking for, debated of all the qualifications. This is it right here. So we have to go into this carefully and stick to the Word of God. That is important. We have to stick to the Word of God. And so, the husband of one wife, does he have to be married? See, there's, there are a lot of people, that there are a lot of churches that will use this and say, well, this man must be married. And I can understand that because, uh, you know, you, you want to, maybe a, a single person might, might not understand the, the uh, complexities of marriage. If he's, if he's trying to counsel someone in marriage, that, that may be true, uh, but I will give to you this, that both the Apostle Paul, contrary to what some movies teach, both the Apostle Paul and Jesus Christ were single, both of them. And I'm pretty sure we'd want both those guys as the pastor or the elder. You with me? As a matter of fact, I looked up this portion of Scripture, and it says, this is 1 Corinthians. You write this down. 1 Corinthians 7, 32 through 33. And that's where Paul describes, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 32 through 33. Paul describes in that, I'll paraphrase it, I don't have it right here in front of me, but he describes how it is better for a man to remain single. That way he can devote, his, he can, he can devote all of his time to God. That's what Paul says, that's what the Bible says, and what we have to learn is, what we have to know is, the Bible never contradicts itself. It never does. It just never contradicts itself. So, uh, does he have to be married? Does 1 Timothy, now look at this. I wrote this down thinking this through because there are some churches, some, some denominations, some uh, uh, religious sects that will, will teach this. Chapter two, verse uh, chapter three, verse three, verse two, where it says that he he must be the husband of one wife. Does that mean he has to be married, but not to a woman? He's married to the church. See, that's what some believe. The Roman Catholics believe that, or, or a segment of them believe that. And so uh, we know this from Scripture. Peter was married. He was married. As a matter of fact, you can look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 5. You don't have to turn there. You can look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 5 and also Matthew 
8.14, Matthew 8.14, where he's talking about Peter's mother-in-law. Uh, Peter was married. And you remember that verse that I gave, that portion of Scripture I talked about just a little bit ago? 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. Well, that's where Peter says, talking about the elders, and he says, I'm one of those as well. I'm an elder. So Peter was an elder, and he was married. And so, uh, so it looks like that, that uh, it's talking about something else. As a matter of fact, I looked up the word wife, where he says the bishop or the husband of one wife, and the word wife in the Greek means woman. It means female. And so... Uh, uh, now, here's the big one. Can he be divorced? Can he be divorced? And many churches will set that threshold and say, well, he, he, uh, he can't be divorced. But let me tell you the literal interpretation of, of what this is. The literal interpretation where it says the husband of one wife is that this man is a one-woman kind of man. He is a one woman kind of man. In other words, he is faithful to one woman. One woman. See, it's important for us to remember that Ephesus was a haven. We talked about this a minute ago. It was a haven of false gods. And much of that false religion revolved around immoral, unholy sex. That's what much of it revolved around. We had a huge temple built for that. And so it's important to remember also that there are many, 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 even in our day, many, many married men, many, many married men that are unfaithful to their wives. Many unmarried men are unfaithful to their wives. Uh, 